This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio. My guest today is podcaster, blogger, and avid collector of dystopian and post-apocalyptic books, Evan from the Wastes. Evan is also a veteran of the Cold War, and according to his bio on social media, he's a father, a husband, and an old soldier, a child of the 70s who grew up on a dairy farm. It doesn't get much more blue-collar than that. Evan's podcast, From the Wastes, includes interviews with writers, artists, and many other creative people. While the focus of his show is mainly on the dystopian and post-apocalyptic genre, he's recently started hosting a roundtable discussion called Trek Talk, which he inherited from another podcaster and friend of Dead Hand Radio, Phantom Dark Dave. Not only is Evan responsible for Dave and I getting to know each other, he's indirectly responsible for connecting me with a number of people in the post-apocalyptic community. I first became aware of Evan years ago through his blog, From the Wastes. His blog posts, like his podcast, usually have a post-apocalyptic theme to them, which is something I've always had an interest in, and it's what first drew me to his work. He also throws in the occasional Star Trek and Star Wars reference for variety. But the thing that really stands out about Evan is the amount of support and encouragement he pours into the post-apocalyptic, or PA, community on Twitter. And for that reason, this episode will focus on being supportive to others, finding value in relationships, and generally being a decent human being. Thanks for joining me, Evan, and welcome to Dead Hand Radio. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Appreciate you being here, man. So uh, to start this out, uh, I'd like to go over some early life experiences with you kind of get into your origin story. Is that cool? Let's do it. All right. So you grew up on a dairy farm in middle America, something I don't think a lot of people could claim that they did. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a unique experience. Um, But uh, you were also a child of the seventies, which is the same time I grew up. But for you, what was that like? Um. Yeah, I grew up on a dairy farm in uh, southwest Montana in the 70s and, and 80s. And um, we just, you know, we had the typical farm, you know, cows, chickens, hogs, goats, dogs, cats, all that stuff. <clears throat> and uh, I ain't going to lie, I pretty much hated it. <laughs> really didn't like it. Okay. And to this day, I always vowed that I would never have anything to do with livestock or animals ever again. And so far I have uh, held true to that promise. So, um, uh, I, I was an only child and so I didn't have any siblings, uh, you know, to help me out with chores and everything. And, um, so I, I kind of tended to, you know, I kind of perfected, uh, the art of entertaining myself and, um, uh, I, I, I think, I don't remember how early it was that, uh, that I discovered science fiction and, and all that, but, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and, and all that back in the seventies, you know, you didn't think about it at the time, but you know, now, I mean, it was just, it was like magic, you know, and I don't know if that's nostalgia, you know, oh, well, but I seem to remember it the same way, man. It was, yeah. Yeah. You just think, you know, 
yeah, you know, you're up at, you know, and cartoons came on at what, five, six o'clock in the morning. And I remember being up, it was the only thing that I had to get up early to do chores every morning before I went to school and everything. But, you know, that was a chore getting up at, at you know, five thirty o'clock or five, five thirty in the morning on, on Saturday morning was like, you know, I'm going to sit down with my box of, you know, cookie crisp, you know, lay on the, on the carpet and watch, you know, Thundar and Flash Gordon and and all those cool cartoons. Yeah, so. yeah I used to watch them all the same same cartoons, man, in a different part of the country. Kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But so okay, for so farm life, I'm not that familiar with it. I grew up in a town called Vacaville, uh, which means cow town. Uh and <laughs> it was a lot of farmland. But I was a city kid, you know, I lived in the city mm-hmm. and, uh, and I moved back and forth between Vacaville and Sacramento, uh, growing up. So I wasn't really in, involved in the farming or the agriculture industry that mm-hmm. supported the whole, the whole city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for you as a little guy, I mean, chores, everybody knows what chores are, but on a dairy farm, what kind of chores did you have to do? Um, well, I was up at five, I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning. And uh, when I was, you know, it, it probably started when I was about eight or nine. My job would be to get up uh, and go out and feed the cows, feed the calves, and basically feed everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and mom and dad were... Uh, actually milking the cows because we had what was called a surge line and we would and they were uh, these big giant stainless steel tanks that uh, you had a a belt that wrapped around the top of the cow and this tank um, hung off that belt below the cow's belly and then you had the uh, you know you, you had these these four suckers Mm-hmm. that that sucked onto the udders and 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 that's where the milk went into and then you had to you had to uh physically take this tank off take it into the milk parlor pour it into the milk tank and then put it on the next cow and we had we had three of those going at a time um a lot of the big we had a small dairy it was a jersey dairy and so we only generally milked about uh, 40 to 50 head mm-hmm. maybe 60 um, but yeah, my job when I was, when I was that young was, uh, feeding everything. <clears throat> and then, you know, during the winter I had to go out into the pasture cause we'd lay straw down and, and I'd have to take a wheelbarrow with me and, and pick up all the cow poop with a pitchfork, put it in the wheelbarrow, take it to the manure pile. And this was all before I went to school, mm. you know, so I'd have to do all that, get ready to go to school, go to school, come home, repeat, you know, and then, Finally, get into the house, you know, around seven or eight o'clock at night. Um, I didn't do very well in school because I didn't do a lot of homework, and uh, so yeah, that was that was basically kind of the routine of being a kid on a dairy farm in the seventies. Interesting. Wow. Well, did you have time for sports or anything like that as you got older? I hated sports. Couldn't oh, okay. stand it. Okay. And um, my parents would try to get me into everything. They send me to basketball camp. They, the, I was kind of, you know, I was, was kind of one of the bigger kids in school. And I remember, I don't remember what he taught. 
geography maybe anyway he was one of the football coaches <clears throat> and uh so i had to play football um <laughs> they wanted me to wrestle i just i hated all of it mm. i just my my dad wasn't in the sports he wasn't in the cars none of that kind of typical you know sports and cars and and all that kind of stuff but you know i was into working on a dairy farm and hiking my dad you know he'd take me up into the mountains to hike a lot and uh that was pretty much it uh so there must have been a place that you had that was your place to go did you did you like many many kids have a a, a place that they go to play and hide and just have their alone time. Do you have, did you have anything like that? Yeah. When, uh, on the farm, it was, um, the haystacks mm -hmm. and I, I would get bales of hay and like make little hay forts. Cool. And, um, uh, that's kind of where I would, you know, we had, we had 20 acres and our, our homestead was just smack dab in the middle of the 20 acres. Um, and you know, at, at any one time we probably had four or five big giant, haystacks around and so that was a good place where i could hide i i remember hiding up in the rafters of the milk barn um as well mm -hmm. <laughs> usually it was trying to get out of to try to get out of doing chores yeah. but I, uh you know it, w when i got a little bit older um i remember we got a four-wheeler well my dad got a four-wheeler to to help with you know feeding the animals and stuff and and i would end up jumping on that four-wheeler like after school on a friday and uh, the, the valley that i grew up in was very narrow and so on the on the west side of the valley you had the big high craggy peaks and then on the east side of the valley you had kind of the, the older kind of rolling hills that were mm -hmm. you know kind of more sagebrush and um and i'd jump on that four-wheeler and i'd hit the hills and i'd stay there until sunday afternoon wow you know, when I'd come back home and, you know, that was all, I was doing that like junior high, high school. That's where I'd spend my, my weekends. That's cool. When I wasn't at the video arcade, you know. Oh, video arcades. Yeah. Back mm. then you don't yeah. have those now. I, no. Actually, I have seen a couple of video arcades that are connected to movie theaters. Um, right. In, yeah. In, ours in, has in, one. Okay. But there's but, like four games. Yeah. There's not a lot you of know? games in there. No. And they're video games. It's it's not like uh, it's not like Space Invaders or Pac Man no. or something like no. that. It's like a, a you know something you could play on your computer, right? Yeah, so exactly. it's, it's different. Yeah. But um, did you have you know Dead Hand Radio is a show that focuses on Cold War, and because you're a child of the Cold War, um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show to talk about your experiences and your, you know, your exposure to the Cold War. Did you have any experiences or exposure as a kid to what the Cold War was? Probably my biggest memory of it was like, wouldn't be until like junior high mm. when uh, the day after came out. Mm -hmm. And then I remember that was, you know, that was all we talked about. Yeah. And um I remember there was some television show or a movie on TV where like the Russians were invading through Alaska and there was some kind of outpost thing or oil refinery thing up in a, in Alaska. And, uh, 
and so we used to play you know during the winter time and it was during the winter time and so we used to play that you know mm-hmm. and you know you're you know fighting the commies and yeah. um but yeah it, w- when i was younger like that i just don't really recall much about knowing much about the cold war not until you know i started getting to like you know 12 13 14 mm-hmm. okay so you were uh, relatively sheltered i maybe i was not maybe i was more curious cuz i would seek that stuff out I remember my first experience of uh, learning what the Russians were and how scary they were was this Time Magazine cover of a a tanker sitting on top of a Russian tank. And that dude just looked so scary to me, man. And and it said something about um, the the Soviet tank uh, armada. You know, they just had so (laughs) many tanks. Right, and I remember seeing that image. It's it's seared into my brain, and that was like my first experience with what the Cold War is. I didn't know what it. I didn't know it was called the Cold War. I just knew right. that the Russians were scary, and they wanted to kill us. And the only way that we kept them from killing us was to make sure we had, we were stronger and had the ability to kill them first if, if it came to it. Right. How old were you? Do you think when how, how I, I was like seven, seven years old, eight years old, maybe nine. Oh, wow. So we're, yeah. Real young. And, um, and then after that was, you know, I started like paying attention. We did some, some, uh, duck and cover drills in school when I was younger but who knows what that is when you're, you know, seven, eight years old, right. you don't really know what yeah. that is. No. Um, but not until I saw that cover of that magazine. Uh, so let's see. Okay. So getting back on to the topic that you're interested in, uh, post-apocalyptic fiction and dystopian fiction, how did you first discover that? You know, I remember, and I don't remember how old I was. I think, I mean, I mean, I was young, but, it was like, I want to say five, six, seven, mm. something like that. And I remember seeing this old black and white movie on TV and it wouldn't be for a little while till I re- realized that it was the movie, that it was things to come HG Wells, things to come, um, which is a <clears throat> really super good uh, post-apocalypse movie. And so that's kind of my earliest memory of anything post-apocalypse but it probably but the biggest memory i have of post-apocalypse was i was probably uh when did the road warrior come out was it 1980 or yeah Uh, it was 1980 wasn't it Mm -hmm. um uh you know being on a farm i was in 4-h and so you know uh during the, the county fair i was you know showing you know, my cow and I was showing chickens and a hog and, you know, we would bring the animals in the horse trailer and then I would live at the fair for the, for the whole week. Mm. And, uh, I remember, yeah, when I was 10 years old, uh, one of the businesses that had the booth in the commercial building was the local, uh, uh, video store. And that's right when video stores kind of really started, you know, um, that's my first memory of, of, videos 
VHS tapes and all that. And he had uh, the road warrior just like on a constant loop mm-hmm. playing. I swear to God, I didn't ride a single ride. I didn't do any, when I wasn't showing an animal, I was at that booth watching the road warrior over and over and over again <laughs> for a solid week. Wow. And, um, and I even had, I remember uh, in the newspaper, you know, how they have, they, they used to have the section of all the movies that was playing mm-hmm. um, the little, and they would have the, the little black and white kind of movie posters. I remember I cut out the movie poster thing for the road warrior and I had it pinned to my wall. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my first real, um, I guess, I don't know, important or main memory of something that was, that was post-apocalyptic. And then that, it just went from there. Yeah, you know. uh, so how old were you at that time? I would have been 10. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I would have been 10 years old. Yeah. I think, uh, that's kind of my first, oh no, Planet of the Apes was my first exposure to oh, post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's because I used to stay up late on Fridays and Saturdays. They used to have a show called creature features. Oh, cool. And they would show all kinds of cool movies, Dracula and things like that. But nice. The planet of the apes came on, on reruns and, uh, yeah, I was like just blown away by how things, you know, I mean, first of all, (laughs) the greatest reveal in movie history, in my opinion, was at the end of that movie when, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, you blew it up, yeah. you bastards. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, so profound. And then the second movie, they showed a lot more of the apocalyptic world. Right. The post-apocalyptic world. And yeah. uh, I was just, I was hooked after that. So, Oh, you, you know what? Another, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. And for Christmas, I had gotten this book. It was kind of like a large, uh, like a large magazine, but it was real thick. Um, just a, I don't know what they call them, like a trade paperback type of type of thing. And it was called Sci-Fi Now, and it was just about all of the science fiction movies and TV shows uh, from you know, kind of, kind of, basically just the seventies. Mm-hmm. and it had a lot of pictures of it. And I remember there were pictures, I still have it actually, um, but there were pictures of, uh, you know, like Planet of the Apes, uh, Things to Come. Um, but it had like a whole section on post-apocalyptic, the bed sitting room, um, just a lot of pictures of post-apocalypse stuff. And, and I remember that just being fat, just, uh, you, you know, I didn't really understand because there's a lot of writing in it. There's a lot of text. I didn't care about that when I was nine years old. I was just looking at the pictures, you know, and it had a lot of, it had a lot of Star Wars in it, and 2001 Space Odyssey and all that. But um, yeah, I remember, I thought, I think I had a whole section on, on, on PA stuff. And uh, so that kind of, I think, sparked uh, my fascination as well. Yeah. So you were, uh, you were into sci-fi early, oh, early on. Bit, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I was more into like, fantasy stuff the um mm. the sinbad and jason and the argonauts movies were yep that's what i lived for right there as a as a little dude 
But as I, as I got a little bit older and started to, well, when, once Star Wars came around, dude, it was over. Star Wars yeah. was, oh, yeah. was my probably introduction to science fiction. And after that, it was nothing but science fiction after that. Uh, so uh, was there, would you say that the movie did it for you or was there a person or um, was it just that event that uh, directly contributed to your, your interest in that? Uh, just the event. Okay. I didn't, you know, my parents weren't into science fiction whatsoever. Um, I didn't have, you, you, you know, you had friends in school that I still remember getting an, into an argument. We had just, you know, Star Wars had just come out. And I remember being on the bus and getting into an argument with one of the kids on the bus. His name was Ron. And he insisted that the stormtroopers were robots. And I was like, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're, they're, they're men. They're, they're just men in, in suits. They're not, they're not robots. Um, so, you, you know, I, but it didn't really have anything to do with anything, I guess, but I didn't, there wasn't anybody that kind of introduced me to science fiction, you know, I guess, you know, thank God for my mom that, that, that sent me to, to the theater to see star Wars, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, there wasn't any, anybody really. And certainly I, I didn't have any friends that were interested, in, uh, interested in PA fiction, mm -hmm. you know, is there anything else that you'd like to share about your dystopian post-apocalyptic fascination? Um, you know, when I, when I, cause I, I, I've had people ask me, why do you, why, why are you so fascinated with this whole end of the world thing? And, you know, it's so negative and, and what, what's, what's the deal with that? And, you know, when I try to think of why the whole kind of lone wanderer or, you know, last man on earth thing appealed to me, I, I think it has something to do with being an only child. Hmm. Maybe um, I was really introverted. I mean, horribly, this whole, this whole um, thing that's going on now is like, this is my time. You know, I, I, it's like, finally, finally, people will just leave me alone and stay away from me. This is heaven. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, but you know, I, I just, I, I never had a problem entertaining myself and, and, you know, my parents bless their hearts. They just tried to get me to socialize by putting me in the, in the plays and, you know, Missoula children's theater and sports and all this stuff. And I just, I hated I hated it so much and I was so much more comfortable just, you know, putzing around in the mountains by myself and just exploring. And, um, you know, I guess maybe when I started reading and, and watching things that, you know, had, you know, kind of this lone survivor and, you know, this radiation blasted wasteland, it just kind of, um, I could, I guess I could associate with that and think that could totally be me. That would totally be me, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. 
That's pretty good, man. That's uh, kind of, I didn't realize that I felt that way too, but that's exactly why I'm drawn to the post-apocalyptic fiction as well. But uh, jumping forward a little bit, you obviously made it through your childhood. You grew up, grew up and graduated <laughs> high school, um, went into the military at some point. Was it right after high school? It was actually during high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I uh, enlisted into the National Guard uh, between my junior and senior year of high school. And so um, I did basic between, you know, during that summer between junior and senior year and then went to AIT after, cool. after I graduated. So. Cool. So, and I read or I heard something that you went into language school to learn Russian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Well, I guess real quick. Um, yeah. So I joined the national guard when I was in high school and graduated high school and went to college for a year and did horribly. I was so sheltered during my, you know, growing up, I didn't have a girlfriend. I never went to a party. I never sipped a beer. I never, I mean, nothing. And then I went to college <laughs> And holy crap. And uh, just did horribly. Oh, I did so bad. I was on, uh, oh, what do they call it? Um, yeah, it was, it was so bad. And anyway, my, my roommate, um, what, he wasn't doing too hot either. And so he decided he was, he was going to join the, the uh, Coast Guard. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to the recruiters with him. You know, because, you know, all the recruiters for all the different branches were in the same building. And, and uh, I'm going to talk to the Army recruiter and it just, you know, if I went active duty, what could I get? Because um, I was a 19 Delta Cavalry Scout. And I was a grunt. So went to the recruiter and he said, what about military intelligence? I went, oh, oh, okay. And so uh, I was going to go in as an analyst in the MI. And so I went to the MEP station and went through a bunch of testing and I had to take this language test. I think it's called a D lab. And I, apparently I scored so high on it. Well, I, I, I took the test and I'm out I'm sitting out there and the recruiter comes up. He goes, how would you like to be an interrogator? I was like, let's do it right now. I'm in interrogator. Oh, hell yeah. And, um, but apparently I, I did so well on the, on the D lab that, um, well, it was, it was interrogator slash linguist. And so I was going to have to be sent off to language school. And so I told my parents, well, I'm going to go back to the duty. What? How come you're not going to finish college? I just, you know, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and to this day, my mom, bless her heart. She's not with us anymore. I never got a chance to tell her the truth. And I certainly am not going to ever tell my dad the truth, but, um, I got shipped off to uh, DLI in uh, Defense Language Institute in uh, Monterey, California. And, uh, but my orders didn't say like which, which school, you know, which language or anything, like which language, you know, because they have all the languages there. And it, it, you know, it didn't say exactly where I was going. And so they just dropped me off at the Fox Troop or, well, Fox Company in the cavalry, it's troops. But, uh, and I went to the first sergeant and he said, you know, he looked at my papers and he said, uh, oh, what, what language do you want? And I was like, oh, Russian. I want to learn Russian. This was 1980, 
it's at the end of 88, maybe early 89. I think it was early 89. And so we're, you know, we're kind of, you know, kind of at the height of, of the, I don't know. Well, I don't know if that was the height of the cold war, but so, yeah, like an idiot, I said, Russian and, you know, not kind of realizing that I like totally failed Spanish in high school. Couldn't even pass Spanish. All right. So I'm going to go to Russian. So I got stationed. I got, I went to the, the Charlie company uh, stove busters. And I remember our PT shirts had, um, it was kind of play on Ghostbusters. Mm. It had uh, the ghost, but he was wearing one of those, um, oh shoot, I can't remember the, the, the Russian hats. Uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, and it said, you know, stove busters. And so it was an 11th month, uh, an 11 month course. And it was like this uh, experimental turbo accelerated course and i remember our classes were only we only had like 10 students in each class and you know the guy sitting next to me like graduated from harvard Mm. and the other guy sitting next to me was like from yale and i was so out of my element i was a dumbass dairy kid from montana that failed spanish and was failing college and now here i am at this at this language school um, learning Russian, you know, where we're learning like 200 vocab words a day, having a test on them the next day and then learning uh, grammar and then having a test on that and then learning another 200 words. I mean, it was just so beyond my, my abilities. It was insane. I might as well, I, I might as well have been studying Euclidean geometry or something. I mean, it was just, yeah, I, I made it eight months. Then I rocked out. How long was the class? Was the school for? the The school was eleven months. Oh, so you only yeah, had three months I, to go. I, yeah, but I was doing so bad, and oh, I was tutoring. You know, every every day uh, after class, and we weren't allowed to speak English. And our our instructors were actually well, they were Russians. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, yeah, we weren't allowed to speak English in class, and. And plus, I was still kind of in that dumbass college kid mode, hmm. you know. And and I was I was um, I was considered prior service because I'd been in the guard two years before I went active duty. So I got my own room, you know. And I, I was just too busy farting around and having fun. It was college, but you wore camo, mm-hmm. you know. So, so yeah, that was. So anyway. After I rocked out, they said, well, you have the choice of infantry, heavy wheel mechanic, or you can go back to your old MOS. And I was like, I don't want to go through another AIT. So I went back to my old MOS of CAS Scout, and they immediately shipped me off to Germany. Hmm. So Interesting. So did you enjoy being in the military? Did you stay long? Um, at the time, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wish I would have stayed in now because all my friends are retired. Mm-hmm. You know, they all got like their E8s, you know, first sergeants and stuff like that. And yeah, they're all retired and getting a pension and, and all that. And no, I only stayed in, I got out in 93. Okay. Yeah, I stayed in Germany for a while and then I got shipped to Fort Carson, Colorado. And then I ETS from there. So, Any memorable moments that you had while you were in there? 
Um, oh, a million of them. Yeah. I mean, that, that really stands out. <laughs> Probably the one thing I always think of is when I got issued live ammo during Desert Storm. Oh, wow. Yeah. When uh, I was a driver and uh, of an uh, M577 command post carrier. And, uh, and I remember... I just, I remember they, they issued me live ammo. Here it is. I was just like, and that was, that was my, oh shit moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, here we go. You know, it's on now. And uh, so, yeah, but oh yeah, there's all the stuff I remember now are just like stupid, funny stories of stupid things that happened to me. I don't remember until I really start thinking of it, about it. I don't, um, I just kind of remember the good stuff, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you made some pretty good friends. Do you still have friends that you keep in contact with? I do. And, um, what, well, you know, cause when, and, and when you leave a unit, you know, it's like, Oh, here's my address. Okay. Here's my address. And yeah, we gotta, we gotta stay in touch and, and all this. And then you, you don't. Yeah. And so I got out in 93 and it wouldn't be until like 2008. I remember my wife said, I came home one day from work and she goes, some guy named Fidget called. I'm like, Fidget? I don't know any, anybody named Fidget. And then I thought, Fidget. And he was one of the guys I was stationed with in Germany. And <clears throat> this guy had gotten about 10 of us. He got in touch with about 10 of us. And got us all back together on Facebook. And so that was cool, you know, and we, you know, and we all, you know, we all got back in touch and we talked about what was going on and, um, you know, we still keep in touch a little bit, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't be until that many years later that, that I would ever get back in touch with anybody that I was stationed with. You think it was your exposure to to that conflict that um, that helped you make the decision to get out? I don't think so. No, I, I thought I was going to do my time, get out and go back to college. Mm -hmm. I didn't think anything was going to happen. And then all of a sudden uh, something did happen. And I mean, I'm going to lie. I was terrified. And I think anybody who says they're not terrified is a liar, but, mm -hmm. um, or crazy. It, yeah. You just kind of go on autopilot and do what you're doing and you know, they keep you, they certainly keep you busy. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember thinking, Oh my God, I don't want to do this again. Um, I do remember thinking when I got back from desert storm that everything that would ever happen in my life would be duck soup that nothing would ever be, you know, as, as bad as, as over there. And, um, I don't think anything really has, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, maybe, uh, maybe something here and there, but, um, uh, well, yeah, okay. So you, did you get married while you were in the military or after? No, it was, it was long after oh, okay. yeah, I got out in 93. I didn't get married until 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, 
while you were in the military, did you, did you, anything uh, that you did or experienced while you were in the military prepare you for family life? Not that I can think of. No, I, I, I was never going to get married. I was never going to have a family. I was going to be that lone wanderer dude for the rest of my life, you know? So I, I can't really think of, I always felt so bad for the guys that were married. And I don't know, I don't know how those military families do it. You know, when they got to go off moving all the time and, you know, yeah, most, you know, most, most of it's paid for, but you know, when your husband or wife has to go off and, you know, I remember calling my mom and saying, um, you know, because of OPSEC, you know, I'm going to be gone for a while. I can't tell you where, and I can't tell you how long. I couldn't imagine having to call my wife and telling that to her, you know, that would just, oh, I couldn't do it. Or being away, being away for six months and coming back and your kids look different than when you left them. Right. Or even a year or two. Yeah. You know, these guys, I don't know what, how, I don't know how long the tours they are, they're serving now, but, you know, I think they're serving a, a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. So you didn't really think about family life much until you, until, was it until you met your wife? Yeah. Yeah. I was adamantly opposed to mm-hmm. it. And uh, what changed your mind? It, oh, I just fell in love awesome. hard. Yeah. She, (laughs) her, we had, uh, she, uh, she's really into books Mm -hmm. and she has a master's in library science and she was working in a bookstore and that's how we met and we exchanged emails and her email had Sailot Bear in it. And I was like, you're shitting me. I have never met anybody who knew what a Sailot bear was. I don't know. Do you know what a Sailot no. bear is? Um, they are, uh, uh, Spock had a pet Sailot bear. Okay. Uh, growing up. And, you know, it's a Star Trek thing. Mm-hmm. They're uh, like a dog, basically, uh, on Vulcan. And so that, I, <laughs> I thought, okay, here we go. That's, yeah, <laughs> yep. And I was, I was reading the Silmarillion, um, uh, oh, what was she reading? I think she was reading the Dark Elf series, Ari Salvatore. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I don't read a lot of. Uh, I the only fantasy I really read is J.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. and um, but she was really big into all that Ari Salvatore stuff. Uh, Driz Driz Durden. Yeah, I guess I don't. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but. <laughs> Um, does anybody anyway, know? <laughs> I, I know, I know. I'm still waiting for a movie uh, of that to come out. I, I was, uh, I was hooked on that. Um, when I was a kid, I used to, oh, I, really? yeah, I read a bunch of those books. Oh, wow. Yeah. She, and she, and so I just started, I mean, that's all I read for like two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great, man. So then yeah, you, you decided to change your, to change your, paradigm basically and and yeah family yeah if i want to keep her i gotta marry no no more lone wolf no i was still against kids i didn't want kids just because i was scared i was really scared i'm gonna be a terrible dad you know i'm not gonna i can't do this 
and um and she wanted kids real bad and so we decided to have children and best thing that ever happened to me cool you know yeah. they're the coolest little little guys man yeah there so yeah you were uh, a little bit older were you in your 30s when uh th- we, we were both 36 yeah, okay. there's only three months apart okay cool yeah she's three months older than i am so yeah. so now you're a family man you have a day job and you you still have that draw to the post-apocalyptic and dystopian oh yeah fiction well and i have the the big thing the big draw to post-apocalypse for me even more so than the whole lone wanderer thing is uh it's just one word hope and i firmly believe that hope is the only emotion that's stronger than fear you can be scared to death of what you know whatever's happening you know right now you can be scared to death but there's a little piece of your brain somewhere in there that hopes that you're going to get out of it that it's going to get better there is there is hope in there somewhere and I, I, I just, I really strongly believe that, that that hope is, <clears throat> is, is stronger than, than the fear. That is such an awesome thing to hear you say, dude, because, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a downer, man, but the people, mm-hmm. even the people in the concentration camps in World War II had hope. And that's the only reason they survived. Sure. You know, they knew that yeah. their next breath could be their last every minute of the day. Yep. And they still had hope to be able to get through that experience. And a lot of them did, you know, many of them did, yeah. unfortunately, but those that did, the only way they did, the only way they made it was because they had hope. And for you to yeah. come out and say that, man, that's, that's pretty insightful and pretty deep. Well, you know, just, you know, what keeps that lone wanderer, putting one foot in front of the other, you know, he's walking across this blasted wasteland and there's a rise in front of him. And he is hoping that there is something over that rise. That's better that he's, he, he is hoping that at some point he is going to find something better. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's why he, he or she keeps trudging along, you know, and that's why we keep trudging along, you know, hoping that, that there's something better. Yeah. Uh, that's cool, man. That brings me right into what started from the wastes. How'd you get started with that? And how'd you come up with that name? First of all, um, I, I'm I'm not really, sh- I just, you know, when I started, I, I was so against social media when it, you know, when it started hitting, I was like, that's stupid. I'm not going to get on the computer and get on social media and Twitter and the, the Facebook and MySpace or whatever and, and all that. And, um, but I was, I was extensively involved with a number of forums and, uh, one forum in particular, um, 
we decided that, you know, in case, in case the board went down or something like that, we should all create these Twitter accounts so that we could just keep, you know, stay in contact and kind of use it as a, as a secondary thing. And so we did that and the board ended up going down, you know, going South. And I think that was, was like 2013. And so I went ahead and got on Twitter. We never used it for anything, but I, I got on there and I thought, what, what is this? I have no idea what it is. I don't know how to use it. I don't know. And, and so I started thinking, well, what do I want to use this for? What, what do I want to do? Okay. The whole point is to kind of connect with people. Okay. What, and I thought, you know, the interest, you want to collect, you want to connect with people with like interests. And so I like to read, I like to watch movies and TV shows and specifically, you know, PA and dystopian stuff and science fiction. And, and so that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, start connecting with people that are into that stuff. And, and then I started thinking, you know, well, if I start browsing around the internet and, you know, finding books and, and writers and, and movies and filmmakers and all this kind of stuff, I could, I could find them and then just kind of share them, you know, share what, you know, find stuff that I like and share it. And, um, but as far as specifically from the wastes, I guess I just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of exploring and finding these things from the wasteland. I'm exploring the wasteland and this is what I have found from the wasteland. And I think I just thought from the waste. So that sounds kind of cool. And so (laughs) there was. Sounds very cool. I have another Twitter account. I ended up kind of creating this last librarian persona you know, where I'm, especially when it started really getting into the books. Um, Cause I just, I love to read so much. And so I kind of started thinking about this, you know, oh, what if I'm the last librarian, mm-hmm. you know, what if I have this underground bunker complex that houses the last vestige vestiges of, of the written word, you know, and, and um, you know, wanderers come, and outlanders can come in and check these books out and you know <laughs> that's a cool thought too yeah, right there, man. it's so they, they kind of tie into each other i i you know sometimes i'll i'll go back to that account and mess around with it for a little while but they're, they're, they're really the same yeah. i you know it's just that one's kind of more specifically book driven than 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 from the waste which is kind of more books movies tv shows mm-hmm. stuff like that so it's cool yeah i see you posting on both accounts sometimes i don't even care man i know it's it's you <laughs> so, yeah everybody knows it's uh, yeah. me <laughs> i just uh I, I, I actually have a couple of accounts too and i post sometimes i forget which account i'm on and i'll be posting <laughs> mm-hmm. yep exactly and then i have my my wasteland man account oh, for your game which is that's yeah that's just specifically for uh, my gaming account and uh, which is pretty much just strictly uh, fallout yeah. fallout 76. Yeah. So yeah, you were pretty heavy into that when it first came out. Are you still playing that? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. When we get done with this, it's upstairs and cause my wife plays as well. She's got her own machine and everything in the bedroom. 
and we wander the wasteland as husband and wife That's cool you know uh, and uh team up and and do our thing kind so. of an alternate reality experience huh yeah it's it's weird it's weird playing a video game with your wife because mm-hmm. you end up learning more about your spouse <laughs> <laughs> playing a video game with them than you would kind of doing anything else. It You just, you know, things they do and, and the, 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 the chatter that goes on between you and, and how, I mean, she, it's so funny. She, you know, in real life, she's, um, she's kind of like me. She, well, she's certainly more extroverted than I am, but she doesn't like confrontation like whatsoever, not at all. But when we're playing, I mean, the, she's the first one in just blasting away, oh, yeah. and killing stuff. And yeah, it's, she's, she's a very aggressive player. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's funny. It's funny. That's cool. Uh, so what, uh, what are your plans for, from the waste? I know it's a blog, it's a podcast. It, it, it's a super fascinating podcast to me because of some of the guests that you bring on there and interview. Um, you also do talks like a, a little round table talk about Star Trek and you do, I, I think you do occasionally do movie reviews, right? You and your wife do movie reviews. Uh, just when, like we, yeah, we talked about, um, the Star Wars movies when they came out. Okay, cool. Yeah. So is she, is she a Star Trek or Star Wars person or is she a Star Trek and Star Wars person. Uh, she does like Star Trek. Um, she's not real big into the original series, but she really liked uh, Next Generation and Enterprise. Uh, we haven't seen any of the new Star Trek stuff, Discovery or Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think she's more she's more Star Wars than she is Star Trek. That's cool. As am I. That's cool. I love them both, yeah. but I, I I tend to watch more. Um, as far as Star Trek is concerned, I'm a big fan of the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Next Gen, uh, Voyager. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're both more. She was really into Doctor Who, loved, mm-hmm. especially Capaldi. She, she's a Capaldi Whovian. So if you had to pick, if they were you know, say Disney owned Star Trek and Star Wars and they were going to cancel one of them and you could never watch, <laughs> you could never watch one of them again. Which one would you prefer to have Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, why are you doing this to me? I, I don't, I, you know, you know how much of a point I make of like either or, or best, best of, Oh, which one I, yeah, I'm probably going to go with Star Wars. I really dig the sci science fantasy of Star Wars. I and and I, I um, I'm one of those people that think you know Star Wars is science fantasy and Star Trek is science fiction. Um, but yeah, I guess if I had to pick, I would. Of course, you know, I'd turn it into a kobayashi maru and i'd find some way to to make disney not <laughs> yeah you'll go buy disney and tell them to turn it back right on, right exactly yeah. yeah i'd go full kirk on them so uh so yeah you 
Well, you said you're an avid reader, and I think you probably mm-hmm. read more books than anybody I know. Did you keep count? Um, the only way I really keep count is I, I have a Goodreads account, hmm. and I kind of use that as my database of books I've read <clears throat> and uh, books that I own. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it certainly isn't uh, a definitive number of the books I've read because I just started using it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago. Um I, you know, I've, I've tried to remember, I've tried to remember all the books I've read before and find them on there and add them to that list. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I love reading so much and I don't, I wish, I, I really wish I had more time to read, wow. um, but I just don't. And I, 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 I own way more books. I'll be dead. So <laughs> so quickly before I get a chance to read a third of the books that I have. Nice. I mean, nice. Yeah. That's good. Hey, at least you know what you're doing for the next 50, 60 years. If you live that yeah. long, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a favorite series or a favorite author or a favorite single book out of all of them? Um, my favorite single book is 1984. George Orwell. And, um, it's, it's the, it's the one book that I judge like all dystopian fiction on. Cool. And I still listen to the audio book every year. Um, I don't read it anymore, but I do listen to the audio book version. Um, my favorite author is Brian Aldiss. Uh, he's a British author and I don't even know if he's still alive to be honest with you, but um, his stuff is just whacked out. I mean, it's, I really love his stuff. And he's, and he's written a number of kind of PA dystopian stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Dune is another huge passion of mine. I remember I first started trying to read it when I was like in sixth grade, didn't understand a word, you know, and and I made the decision that I was going to try to read it every year, you know, after that and try to, and it, it probably wasn't until high school that I really kind of started understanding, understanding it. But yeah, reading for me is, it's like my happy place. Like if I'm feeling down or depressed about something, I go grab a book. If I'm sad about something, I go grab a book. And um, yeah, any, any time, like I can't deal with something, I grab a book and I, I can't do that with a TV show or a movie. I'll just sit there and, and just glaze. I, it, it, and it just doesn't work for me, but with a book, I get sucked into it and everything bad just goes away you know, and, uh, so it's like a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a drug or it's like a, it's like a medicine for me or something. Cool. So if you, if you could think about it, I'm guessing it would probably be a book, but it might be something different. One single item that you don't have, like the Holy grail, what would you, what would that be to add to your collection? Not, it doesn't have to be a book. It's just what one item that you don't have. Would you? 
Deckard's blaster ah, from Blade. Yeah. That's cool. I know somebody who has a a, a replica of that. Oh, yeah, they are. It is and cool, the, man. Yeah, there's an and I want a working replica. I want I want um and I've watched a few different YouTube videos and I remember who's the guy from that uh there was a show Mythbusters who uh, and the, the oh what's his name the red-haired guy he's real big into building like like v- crazy accurate prop versions uh well versions of of props from different movies and he built Deckard's blaster one time mm-hmm. and um because I remember the 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 receiver on it was built from a I can't remember it was a bolt action rifle and now I can't remember yeah it was it was, it was a bolt action I think it was a 30 out six yeah what shoot what any anyway and, and and then everything was kind of built around that and then you know it had a a revolving cylinder and used blanks and and all that sort of thing and uh you know the the bolt action was just kind of more for looks than than anything the the, the receiver but um yeah oh if i could have a working actual real you know version of that that just shot you know like 38 357 something like that that's a good one man so that's your holy grail huh that is that's yeah cool. i've been obsessed with that with that handgun since i saw the movie yeah my my friend little side story my my best friend growing up his dad ran the theater he was a projectionist it was just a one screen theater and um and so my friend and I would get to see movies for free because we'd clean up after after the the crowd left. Cool. And I remember we snuck in to see Blade Runner, and uh, I was just my mouth was just my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. It was just the most perfect, awesome thing I'd ever seen in my life. Nineteen eighty four. You were still in high school at that time, right? Yeah, I was a freshman. Yeah, yep. yeah, that was my last year of high school and uh oh you're an old man yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm 50 plus (laughs) i'll be 50 in may congrats oh half a century half a century no i just keep thinking i got more behind me than in front of me i don't think that's true but there's hope yeah yeah. there's hope for cybernetics and i swear to god as soon as they can stick my brain in a robot body (laughs) i'm in line man. or upload you to the internet (laughs) exactly live in the virtual world yeah yep that'll work i'm down with that i could go on living forever yep um yeah man i just started running a couple days ago i've been out walking i go for a 5k walk every day just to you know get my heart rate up and stuff but oh, wow. I, I started running and it felt pretty darn good, man. Oh, I don't even remember what that's like. Uh, and it sucks. I used to be in such good shape. Yeah. And now I'm not. Man. Yeah, and it's hard, man. The longer you wait, the harder yep. it is to to you know to do something about it. Yeah. Um, is there a location that you have uh, have ever made plans to visit and would like to visit sometime in the future? Um, the, the, the chances of me ever visiting this location are slim to none, but the one place I real I've been to a lot of places. I've kind of, I've kind of, I don't want to sound like this pretentious snob. I've kind of been there and done that, and, and, but it was when I was in the military. So I got to travel a lot, you know, but the one place I would really super like to go is the Mad Max museum 
in Silverton, Australia. Oh, I didn't know they had oh, that. I didn't even yeah. know that existed. Wow. Yeah, it, it was a guy from England, and he moved to Australia like in '06 or so, seven or so, something like that. And um, and he wanted to kind of be where Mad Max was filmed, and and he ended up creating this museum, and a lot of stuff was given to him, you know, and. Uh, and then he would just, he went out to the places where it was filmed and that's where he got a lot of the stuff in the museum. Wow. And, and it's a good size museum. And, and I mean, it's just right out there in the red dirt. I mean, it looks like, <laughs> it looks like it's right where, well, it is, you know, where some of that stuff was filmed. That's and, cool. uh, but, you know, he, he's got the cars and parts and, and uh, outfits and yeah, that would be, I would love to go there. Yeah, well, we have a couple of few mutual friends from Australia. Do you know if any of them are near there and have ever gone to it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I should. Yeah, I should ask. I'd, I've never even visited, or I, I'd never even heard of it. So uh, the thought of visiting it, that would be a pretty cool place to visit. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm wild about like a 14-hour plane ride. Oof, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're there in Australia, you might as well just catch a boat over to Antarctica and check out uh, right. that place. Because what are the chances <laughs> exactly. of going there ever, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. New Zealand would be a beautiful place to visit too, where they filmed all the Hobbit movies, all the Lord right. of the Ring movies. Yeah, that'd be. A yeah, that would be place. super cool. I don't know if they have anything like dedicated to the movies out there. I don't know. Um, I thought I remembered. Um, there was something where when they got done filming, they had to put the land back like exactly the way it was wow. as though they were never there. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So you, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to every one of your podcasts. I don't know verbatim everything you've said, but um, the, my favorite was your 20 questions. Oh, <laughs> that was cool, man. And, you know, even after hearing you answer those 20 questions, I still have a hundred questions to ask you. <laughs> uh, but uh, you mentioned that you wanted to interview Rutger Hauer when he was still alive. Yeah. And unfortunately that didn't happen. He's no longer with us, but if you could ask him one question, what would it be? Would you like to be upgraded? I, there's this movie that he was in that I've always just been obsessed about. I just, I love it so much. And it's, I'm sure a lot of people would think it sucks. And it's, um, and it's another take on, uh, I think Yojimbo, you know, Akira Kurosawa, or um, is it Akira Kurosawa? No. Uh, anyway, it, uh, Kurosawa's um, uh, Man With No Name, uh, you know, the samurai flicks. And, uh, you know, Magnificent Seven and all that, you know, there's been a million movies based on his stuff. And <clears throat> I think it's based on Yojimbo, but it's a, it's a PA movie where Rutger Hauer plays, uh, there was a war between the robots and mankind and uh, Rutger Hauer's character was uh, quote unquote hit in the program <laughs> and and uh it kind of it tweaked his programming and stuff and anyway he was 
taken in by these scientists and sent back out into the world to, I think, find other humans or something like that. And he comes across this old amusement park. It was obviously filmed like in Croatia or Serbia or something like that. And um, there's these, I can't remember if it's two or three factions of robots and he's kind of playing, playing them all against each other. And I, I, I would really, I would really want to know what his experience was uh, filming that movie. It's so good. If you you can ever track it down, um, God, it's probably on YouTube, but if you can ever track that down, you got to watch it. It, The special effects are terrible, but I'm not a big, I'm not a big, I don't care if special effects are bad. You know, I don't, I don't sit there and go, Oh, that looks fake. That looks dumb. That that's, that's horrible. Um, bad acting is, a, is kind of ruins it for me if it's really bad acting. Right. But, uh, yeah, special effects, I can look past that. Yeah. Uh, what's and the name of the movie? Did you, did you tell me the name of the movie? Yeah. It's called Omega Doom. Yeah. I've actually got it on DVD. It came with a, uh, I had it on VHS, but um, I found the DVD of it and it was coupled with Blind Fury, you know, which was, you know, the Blind Swordsman, um, which is so good too. But which historical figure or character from a book do you feel uh, some kind of connection to? Um, I guess as much as I would like to feel connected to some real badass you know, Mad Max or Eli. Mr. Mr. Yeah. Um, probably the man from the road, just a guy, just a normal guy, you know, who, who is just trying to survive and it's, you know, and trying to keep his kid alive, trying to keep himself alive. And, um, you know, that book is so good. Yeah. And the movie I thought was just, the movie really spoiled me because I felt like it was such a true interpretation of the book. I mean, more so than I think anything I've ever seen. And so the way, um, I mean, when I watched the movie, I felt like I was reading the book. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a bunch of stuff added. There was a, well, there was quite a bit deleted, but you had to, I yes. mean, it's a two hour movie. You can, and, uh, but yeah, yeah, probably just probably that dude. That's you cool. Know, keeping the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good movie, man. And, and yeah. you're right. The book is great. That's one of the books yeah. that I've actually read and I gave it away. I gave the book away uh, thinking I would never read it again. And now I'm going, man, I might have to buy that book again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've done that so many times. Give books away. You always, you always got to figure if you give a book away, you'll never get it back. Yes. Yeah. You know, so that's okay. Although there is one book that I lent to a buddy of mine that if I got to track, I got to track him down and get it back. Is it a hard one to find? It is. It's very hard. And I found it on accident. It's, um, remember the Thunder of the, Bar- uh, Thunder of the, Thunder the Barbarian cartoon? Yes. That was based on a book. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And the cartoon is spelled T-H-U-N-D-A-R-R. Mm-hmm. And the book, I think, just leads off one of the R's. And it's called Thundar, the Man Out of Time. And 
<clears throat> the cover, I mean, you know, he's got a sword. It, 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 and uh, I, it was one of the very first blog posts I wrote. And I wrote the, up this thing because I found the book just on accident. I never knew it existed. I was like, wait a minute. The cartoon is totally based on this book. And I have never, I scoured the internet trying to find something that said that the cartoon was based on the book and I couldn't find anything. And so I was like, well, here I am. I'm going to credit the cartoon being based on this book. And, um, and I lent it to a buddy of mine. I still haven't gotten it back. I got to get that back. <laughs> so, Hey buddy, if you're listening, yeah. everyone wants his book back. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So the one question I ask everybody, because I feel like it's such a, a strong motivator. Now that uh, you told me your theory about hope being a, 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 mm. the strongest motivator, I might have to change this question, but what's your worst fear? And does that have any influence on your creative interests? Um, well, my worst fear would be losing my family. And um, my wife actually has an immune disorder and uh, she would, she was diagnosed uh, well, seven years ago now. And we know that that's how we are going to lose her barring a traffic accident or, you know, or, or something um, it will eventually kill her. And we know that that's what's going to happen. Not that we've come to grips with it, but because when that eventually does happen, it's, I, I, can't even imagine how hard it's going to be. But um, coupled with that, the thought of losing my children is, I, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. it, it. I mean, I would never recover from that. And it would literally be the end of the world for me. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, worst fear ever, man. Can't even imagine. Easily. And, and I could tell. I mean, I, I kind of got the the idea that that's what you were going to say based on what we've already talked about. Um, but that fear is a motivator. It's a strong motivator. Does that influence anything in your life going forward? Do you, uh, just, I, can you, I guess, have you ever tried to channel that into a creative outlet somehow? No. Um, oh, I, I mean, spending time with your wife. Oh yeah. You know, just trying to be the best husband I can and, 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 and all that. But as far as anything to do with, with this stuff I do, I, gosh, I can't think, I can't think that it does. Mm -hmm. That's a terrible answer, but. I, hey, it's know. an honest man. You know, yeah. not every answer has to be like profound and insightful <laughs> and mind-blowing but uh, yeah yeah that's an honest answer so yeah man um shoot my heart goes out to you uh oh thank you i hope she's with you for a long time to come man yeah because yeah when you find your soulmate that's that's part of you you know that yeah. that's like yeah i can't even imagine it um what is the biggest obstacle you run into 
as a blogger and a podcaster? Uh, I guess probably two. One is finding the time mm-hmm. to do what I want to do, you know, um, and the other one is probably technology. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out how to do what I want to do. Um, you know, I was really into computers when I was a kid. I was just obsessed with them. And then, <clears throat> and then I got out of that, and I didn't get back into it until about two thousand. You know, and the stuff. You know, I missed so much. I mean, I think the last, the last uh, kind of educational certificate I got from anything to, to have to do with computing was for DOS 3.0, you know? So what is you know, that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even know what that is, man. <laughs> and so, you know, just be, of course, you know, they've made computers so much easier to use now. And, you know, mm-hmm. thank goodness for YouTube where you can just, you know, figure out how to do anything you want to do. But, um, yeah. So time know, just, and technology. Yeah. Are two yeah just Yep, finding the time, finding the time. Everyone at some level has a story to tell. And some are better at telling stories than others. Uh, in your mind, what does it take to be a good storyteller? Um, I think a good storyteller has to get me to feel something about their characters. You know, whether I empathize or sympathize love them, hate them. Um, if I don't care about the characters, th- then why do I care about, you know, reading or watching whatever it is? Mm. Um, I, al- I also need characters to act and sound like real people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the things they do and the way they speak needs to be, needs to convince me that, that they're real. And, you know, just thinking, uh, uh, one of my favorite indie authors out there, excuse me, right now is uh, John F. Leonard. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're following him or not. I interviewed him for my blog. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he's he's like a master at, at doing that. And I've read everything he's written. And I I just, I, God, I hope he keeps writing for a long time. Um, but you know, and even though, you know, he uses a lot of British slang mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, I, I, I love British television, but you know, there's, a, you know, there's still stuff. There's a lot of slang. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, but his characters and the way they interact and the way they talk to each other and the things that they do, they're, they're absolutely real people. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think, for, you know, for me, that's, you got to make me care about the people in the book, cool. you know, whether, whether, doesn't matter if, you know, make me love them or hate them, but don't, don't make me just not care anything about them. Well, coming from a person that reads as much as you do, I would, I would have to say that that's good advice to any writer. <laughs> you yeah. know, if, if you're writing stories, make sure they got strong characters. Yeah. When you, when you, decide to to get into your creative mode and you have to make that transition from coming home and doing the daily grind and putting something out there for 
people to to consume some somehow how do you make that transition do you wait until an inspiration hits you like a bolt of lightning that would that would be it um and i've always you know when i started doing the blogging thing and uh and with the podcasting thing i knew that i was not going to have a schedule Mm -hmm. there was going to be zero schedule involved with what i do and i would write a little blog post or I would do a podcast episode when I wanted to. And when, um, and when I had to, but, but there are, like I said, I got pages of notes and and just uh, so many people I want to talk to desperately. It's just finding the, finding the time, you know, finding the right time and, uh, you know, scheduling and, um, and getting over my fear of, uh, my biggest fear is, you know, interviewing someone talking to someone and them not being happy with it or them being embarrassed or them being, you know, wishing that they had never talked to me and <laughs> having it released. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh, lay that fear to rest, dude, because I, I think it would be a, an honor and a privilege for anybody you invite to come on your podcast. Oh, well, that makes me feel better. I it's true, I'm not trying to blow smoke, man. I think, yeah, you're a good interviewer. Uh, yeah, you come up with really interesting questions to post to people. It's hard to interview 10 different people that do the same thing and come up with different questions for each of those people. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough, tough thing to do. It takes a lot of concentration and focus. I mean, that in itself is a creative process. I always have this argument where people refer to me as a creator. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm a curator. I collect things and then I share them out and hope somebody goes, Oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to check that out. Cool. You, know, but... you collect answers to questions. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I like that, man. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. And I, you know, when I talk to somebody, I, I've learned so much doing this, even though, I, well, I mean, I haven't done very much of it, but you know, I've, I've heard interviews of, you know, writers and filmmakers and stuff. And they're just those, you know, they're just, they're just cookie cutter answers or cookie cutter questions. And, um, you know, you can kind of tell that the interviewer doesn't care any, about who they're interviewing. They've never read any of their stuff. They've never watched any of their stuff. And um, I, I always want to make sure, because I will not interview someone who whose work I haven't read or watched or, you know, become familiar with. You know, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair at all to the to the to the, to the creator, to the person I'm talking to. Or the listeners. Right. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's, like you said, it would be just another cookie cutter, yeah. boring interview. And why would yeah. somebody want to listen to that? Yeah. Right. No, you're, you're bringing a, a level of integrity to your work um, well, that you. most people don't have. I, I, not, not most people. I'm sorry. I don't mean most people, but a lot of interviewers don't have the integrity to at least go read a book or watch a movie or listen to an album by somebody that they're interviewing. Right. 
which part of the creative process do you enjoy the most? I think, I think I enjoy the thought. <laughs> I could rephrase that if you want. Which part of the curating process? <laughs> there we go. Do you enjoy? There the we go. Yes. Um, yeah. What I enjoy the most is finding something, putting it out there, and you know, from the very beginning, I've always thought, you know, I, you know, I read. Okay, okay, I read this book. I love it. I'm going to tell everyone that I love it. And if I can get one person to check it out, and even if they don't get back to me and say that they love it too, but if one person reads it or watches it and loves it, then I have absolutely fulfilled what I wanted to do. That's what I enjoy the most. Uh, so what is your dream job? Uh, curating the Mad, Mad, Mad Max uh, Museum. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. That would be my that would be my dream job. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, is there anything that you are working on now or have plans uh, for the future that you're going to be putting out there? Do you have any like podcast episodes that you're just dying to get to? Oh, man, a lot of them. Yeah. Any that you could tell us about? Uh Oh, I don't want to, I don't want, well, I don't want to give out any names because if God forbid it doesn't happen or something like that, mm -hmm. but um, I've got, you know, a number of, of filmmakers and, and writers uh, that, that I would really like to, Oh, uh, uh, well, okay, 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 yeah. Uh, well, let me finish that. That I would like to have on my podcast, and that you know, and that I've spoken to and said, hey, you know, do you think at some point in the future you might want to, you know? And they're totally with it. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I really have. Uh, there, there was one project that both my wife and I were involved in. Um, that I don't know how much I can say about it without getting in trouble. Um. It's a film cool. that my wife and I were involved with. It's a little short film. And I believe it's still in the process of like going, uh, well, it was, it was going to go through the, the um, indie film circuit, you know, the, uh, oh, what do you call them? Just, you know, the different film festivals that they have. And, and then this COVID thing happened and that all got kind of, shut down but once that once that comes out i will be sharing it like crazy it was pretty cool it was it was it was super fun it was super cool were, were you guys cast part of the cast yes yeah oh far yeah. out so we get to see you guys on screen you won't you won't see us we, we are we are uh just voice actors in it so yeah cool yeah cool well all right we'll look forward to that i will look forward to that oh um, yeah me too <laughs> once it gets out there <laughs> if if you when it comes out yeah so it's it's got to make the search there's um there's a dude that i interviewed for my blog also a movie creator david Liban. uh oh yeah movie. yeah yeah um his movie got pretty much um 
put on the shelf yeah because of this and uh you know luckily he's got a career he's he's a teacher or a professor i'm not right. sure which but i think he teaches college level or, or it might be high school level film um but yeah his his movie got put on the shelf until yeah. after this covid thing yeah i had chatted with him a little bit and uh and how he filmed <clears throat> that movie was super cool mm-hmm. was super cool yeah yeah he's an interesting dude man he knows his craft for sure yeah uh i hope to see more more uh movies from him down yeah. the road yeah for sure storytelling in the future this is a uh, uh where i try to tie in my podcast theme with the creative people that i interview or the curative people (laughs) (laughs) um i don't mind saying that man i i I think curating is just as important as creating um but i'm convinced that studying history is essential to understanding the future one of the primary focuses of my podcast dead hand radio is to explore the cold war and its impact on culture technology in the future i try to do this in a way that's entertaining and educational without being too controversial but that's sometimes a fine line so with that in mind a lot of creative people try to take on the biggest problems head on would it what approach do you think is the most effective well if i'm hearing the question correctly i i think uh, <clears throat> I think they would do well to not put blinders on and only present one side of an issue. Good point. Man. And I know that that's kind of what's, it seems like that's what's done or it, it seems like presenting one side of an issue is, is how things are done. Mm-hmm. And I really don't like that. Um, I think um, I think maybe stepping out of their bubble and looking at both sides, um, you know, like they say, you know, there's three sides to every story, you know, mine, yours, and the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can present um, all sides with facts, and then leave it up to the uh, the viewer mm-hmm. to to make their own you know, informed decision as to, you know, which side is the truth or right. Um, I think there's, you know, try to try to get away from bias as much as possible. Is there, uh, let's keep it positive. Is there, is there a, uh, is there a movie or a book that comes to mind that has addressed issues in this, in this manner, in a, in a way that you're you're suggesting it should be done i feel like like most of what you know most of what i see as far as the mainstream is so biased you know there's probably some indie stuff out there that's probably done it but it it feels like everything that i see is is biased towards one thing or another, you know, 
the the one example that easily comes to mind for me uh is star trek i think star trek it addressed those issues a lot of a lot of big issues for its time but it did it in a way that you didn't even realize that's what you were watching are you talking about the original star trek the, the, yeah the original star trek i would agree with you yeah i would agree with you on that i mean they they were they, you know they were dealing with issues that um are still around today yeah uh did you did you do interviews for your blog too before you I, yeah okay yeah i did and in fact that was the whole point of of starting a podcast was you know i would interview um people on my blog but you can only get so much from from written text and i and i kept thinking this would you know if you can actually talk to somebody you know where you can you can really kind of get the feel for someone way more when you listen to them talk than rather you know typing their words down on a you know on a screen um and plus podcasting just seemed easier you know you 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 hook up with somebody on the skype or whatever and you record it and you're good you know yeah looks are deceiving though right <laughs> yeah big time because it's not easy it's fun though it is fun it and is i enjoy it i have a good time with it and the thought of actually you know talking with someone instead of just sending them a list of questions having them answer them, cutting and pasting them on a, on, onto a blog and putting a couple pictures up. I don't know. Just the, the thought of actually talking to them uh, just seems a lot cooler. Yeah, I agree. I started interviewing people on my blog I, I, 10 years ago, probably. Oh, wow. Maybe even longer than that. I, I interviewed, Actually, it was longer than that. I remember my first interview was with a couple of clients of mine and um i started interviewing them about the 2008 crash and mm -hmm. the, the economic bust so yeah it was a totally different format but um i've been doing interviews you know ever since and then uh your podcast was one of the inspirations that i had to start doing interviews as part of the podcast oh cool so of the people that you've interviewed, does it ever surprise you that uh, how insightful and imaginative people are? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> in fact, um, I don't have a real great imagination. And people always say, oh, bull crap. Yes, you do. No, I don't. I actually don't. I, I never have. And so... I rely on the imagination of others to kind of fill that, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons I like reading so much is, you know, I, I can't come up with this stuff on my own, you know, and, and I always say, you know, the man's got to know his limitations. I'm totally cool with not being a writer. I don't want to be a writer. I really want nothing to do with that. You know, and I, I concentrate on indie stuff, on indie authors and indie filmmakers. And I can't believe the stuff these people come up with. It just blow, it blows me away. Well, you know, those people are doing it for the passion. 
because there's they're they're not getting rich. A lot of them have regular jobs and they do the writing part on the side. Um, but they they do it and they're good at it for some reason. They just haven't haven't built the 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 massive audiences that allow them to, you know, sit at home and write all day long. Yeah. I mean, you got, you know, people like I know I keep name dropping here, but you know, like Arthur Walker, yeah. you know, I don't know if you've read his uh, Uroboros yeah. saga. Yeah, of course. I, because of you. Holy. Oh, yeah. Because of, totally because of you. I, I, yes, it works. <laughs> it, it worked. Okay. There you go, man. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that, but you know, now that you mentioned it, yeah, I, I did read, read Arthur's work because of you. Yeah. I, you know, it's just, I sit there and I, oh my God, I just can't believe the stuff that, that he comes up with. Yeah. I just, you know, he's got that thing you know and he's artistic he's got, too he's a good, oh yeah good artist yeah he's like he's like the buckaroo bonsai <laughs> of of indie guys yeah. i was thrilled when he um i can't remember which which i've got his i've got his uh print books here and i can't remember if it was the last book or the or the second to last book um that takes place right up here right up at glacier park i'm only 20 minutes away from glacier park that was really cool to to read a book that takes place so so close to where i am that is cool when you see well I, you know i live in vegas so a lot of movies a lot of books focus on this area but being up where you're at i, I guess there wouldn't be a lot of fiction here's a little tidbit uh damnation alley you know that was that took place you know down down there in vegas and you know the end scene after the earth gets tilted back on its axis yeah yeah after at, at the end there's like this big flood because the earth you know because the earth got tilted it got knocked off its axis because of all the nukes. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the movie, for whatever reason, the earth gets back on its, you know, where, where it belongs. And there's this big giant flood and the uh, landmaster. Right. Uh, um, it, well, you, you know, before that, everything was desert and, and all that. Well, now everything's grass, trees, lakes, da -da 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 -da, you know, so on. Every, everything's totally back to normal horses and you know fences and all that and the scene the 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 area where that seat where those scenes took place is literally literally like across the highway from me wow um because george papard um i don't know if he had a place here a lot of actors have have homes up here but um i don't know if he had a place here but he just really liked it here and apparently from what i understand from what i've read he convinced them to film uh, those ending scenes right here. <laughs> and so. That must be beautiful country up there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I've, pretty cool. Uh, I've driven through Montana. I've only been there once. Um, most of what I saw was long, straight flatlands. <laughs> That's all Eastern Montana. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, without getting political of the many issues that our society's faced with what is the greatest threat to human life on earth uh, ignorance ignorance of history um i agree one of my favorite quotes is uh remember excalibur the movie excalibur yeah yeah love that movie um at one point merlin says doomed are men mm -hmm. that they forget that's and, true. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's totally true. Yeah. And um 
uh, without trying to get political and all media sandboxy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just a lot of history is changed or misspoken or just flat out denied or deleted. Um, you know, I'm always, I always think of Orwell's quote when he says, who controls the past controls the future and who controls the present controls the past. Definitely. Um, you know, we just, we, we get our history and sound bites and clickbaits and, and opinions. That's yep. just, that's just kind of mind blowing. So yeah, you're right, man. The ignorance of, uh, not remembering the the mistakes of our past are definitely going to allow us to repeat them. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people um, mistake ignorance with stupidity, (laughs) you know, and they're, they're, they're not the same thing. I was just talking to a, a buddy at work about this today. People tend to be, you know, people who are ignorant, they know what the deal is. They just don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, if you have someone stupid and there are stupid people, you know, I'm not going to candy coat it and say, well, no, you know, there's that. no, mm-hmm. there are dumb people. Yeah. They just don't know. <laughs> um, but the ignorant people don't care. Yeah. You know, and they know they just don't care. But uh, do you think that the ignorance of humans could eventually lead to the end of the world as we know it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's the only thing that would lead to it. Wow. Well, barring, you know, natural catastrophe and stuff like that. But, you know, if you're talking nukes, if you're talking bio, if you're talking, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ignorance. If you could create a character to deal with the issue of ignorance, what would that character look like? Oh, gosh. I don't know if you could. I don't know if you could have one person. You know, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a Christian, if you're, you know, it'd be Jesus Christ, if you were Buddhist, it would be Buddha, you know, but, you know, let's just, uh, I don't think you could have one person that can change the world Mm -hmm. and, or that could wipe out the ignorance of, of those who don't give a shit because if someone doesn't care if, if, you know, if they're just going to flat out not care, how do you make them care? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how you would create a character. I don't know what kind of, I don't, boy, I don't know. That's a tough question, man. So the person would have to be able to brainwash people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He'd <laughs> have, have to be able to manipulate people yeah. to get them to do the right thing to do things the right, right way. Yeah. You would have to somehow um, affect, you would have to, you would have to do something uh, that would affect those people on a personal level that, that would make them recoil and sit back and go, mm. Oh crap. I was totally wrong. I, I, I need to change and I need to, you know, change my way of thinking and man, to do that to everybody. Yeah. You know, I don't know, yeah. you know, but then you're taking away their free choice and the whole, the whole point would be to make, to make, to have people have the free choice to do the right thing. 
And so mm -hmm. if you're forcing them to do the right thing, you know, if, if you have to, you know, if you're going to brainwash them, you know, what if that brainwashing doesn't stick, you're going to have a certain percentage of the population who it doesn't work or, you know, that it doesn't work on. And then you're just, then you just got a population of drones, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. That's not good for anybody. Yeah. <clears throat> Free choice is, is what it is to be a human. Right. So if you take away choice yeah. if everyone would just choose not to be an asshole that's how easy it is there boom done yeah. you can have a guy yeah. up there standing up there going look it's four words don't be an asshole that it's, it's 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 as simple as that so there you go it's not one person it's every person right every yeah. person has to make the choice to do the right thing yeah you know people always talk about you know wanting a utopia well a, a utopia is impossible there's literally no possibility of ever having a utopia because of free choice because there are going to be a percentage of the population look there's bad people they're just flat out bad you know bad evil people and but there's people who don't believe that and why they're bad, I don't know. They didn't get hugs when they were kids. I don't know. I, I don't know why they're bad. They could have been the night. Look at some of the worst people in the world. They grew up in wonderful families. Yeah. And for whatever reason, you know, a chemical imbalance, whatever. I don't know. But even if you look at the worst people, I mean, do they even acknowledge that they're bad they they don't even think they're bad they think they're doing it for for good reasons right yeah a, lo a lot of them do i mean there are probably some sociopaths that know they're doing the wrong thing and they're doing it because they can do it right yeah, yeah. but yeah but yeah oh sure yeah i'm sure there's plenty of them that they just they don't know and they're not psychopaths sociopaths yeah. Yeah. they're not stupid they're not they just there's something wrong in their brain, you know, so anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's the last question I ask everybody that I interview and I get different answers yeah. from a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think you, I, I think you hit on something right there that everybody needs to, is it's not something that one person can fix something that everybody together collectively can fix if they choose to. Yeah. Good. Good answer. Uh, okay. Before I let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I did want to tell you that I really dig what you're doing. Oh, wow. I appreciate that. I really like your podcast. Um, I really dig all your photography stuff and I'm really super, super glad that we've uh, connected on uh on the internet, on Twitter. Well, the feeling's definitely yeah. mutual. I, I, I absolutely yeah. feel the same about your podcast because it's a good, it's a good podcast. Uh, okay. With that said, so give us your um, information, how people can get in contact with you. Um, well, obviously I spend most of my time on Twitter and uh, so you can find me at from the wastes 
or at the last librarian uh, on Twitter. Um, I'm also, uh, I have a WordPress, a blog on WordPress. Uh, that one is from the wastes one, one, eight, one, one, um, dot wordpress.com. And I also have a, uh, a Facebook page. I don't do a lot with my Facebook page. Um, when I do, it's usually, uh, sharing like, uh, if I'm searching out some indie PA movies, um, ones that I come across, I'll throw up on there. Uh, but that's just, uh, what is that? Facebook forward slash from the wastes. Um, pretty much any, you know, Oh, I have a Tumblr. I've had a Tumblr for a long time. Yeah. I found that. And, I found uh, that. Uh, and you post a lot of science fiction stuff on there, right? Yeah. That one's a lot more science fiction. I ha- I also have a, 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 a last librarian blog on WordPress. Hmm. I have, the, I have, the, I have the two blogs, but my last librarian blog, <clears throat> what I did was I took, um, pictures. I, I scanned the front and back cover of a lot of the books that I have. And most of my books, you know, 99% of them are all science fiction, predominantly PA and dystopian ranging from, Six, a lot of 60s, 70s, uh, 80s, um, and I would just scan uh, the front and back covers, and I, and then I would just I just put those images on that blog. So there's kind of a uh, the only unfortunate thing was that I didn't put like tags or anything mm-hmm. for each book because uh, my my my. Uh, what I wanted to do was like, you know, if you wanted to look up nuclear war, then all, all my nuclear war stuff would come mm-hmm. up. Um, but it was, man, it was hard enough getting all those things scanned in and put in there. But, you know, if you, if you ever just want to kind of veg out and scroll through, I think I've got about 300 and some books on wow. there. That's lastlibrarian.wordpress.com. Correct. Yep. And what's your uh, podcast? Where's your podcast at? Oh, my podcast. Um, I'm on Podbean, but you can find my pod. You can find from the wastes podcast on Apple podcasts. Uh, um, pretty much all the podcatchers out there. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Devin. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure too. And um, hopefully we could do it again soon. Absolutely. Dead Hand Radio is a podcast about the Cold War and its effects on our culture, technology, and the future. So join me, and together we'll explore this fascinating period of history and examine the incredible advancements in weapons, technology, science, and culture, and discuss how all of it relates to the future of our world. My goal is to explore these topics with the audience, to learn, to educate, to entertain, and exchange ideas with those interested. If you or someone you know has knowledge about the Cold War or any of the topics that we discuss on this program, please get in touch and let's talk. It could be a great conversation for a future episode, and I'm especially interested to talk with anyone who has first-hand knowledge about the Cold War. Likewise, if you have any questions or comments to help improve the show, drop me an email, hit me on Twitter, or leave me a voicemail that may be included in an upcoming episode. And one last thing before I sign off. 
Dead Hand Radio has partnered with a powerful group of podcasters to form a new podcasting network called SIP Network, or Slightly Irregular Podcast Network. SIP Network is a group of high-energy, positive-minded individuals providing a resource where listeners can get easy access to a wealth of entertainment, education, and positive input for your daily routine. The podcasts you'll find in the SIP Network include... Angry Dad Podcast is about fitness and motivation. Back in Time Podcast is about movies and entertainment. Dead Hand Radio is about Cold War history, technology, and the future. Fave Five from Fans is a favorite five lists of just about everything. From the Waste is about post-apocalyptic and dystopian fiction with a dash of sci-fi. Paranormal Pativity is all things paranormal and unexplained. The Terrible Terror podcast is about horror movie reviews and walkthroughs. And the podcast from another world is about horror and sci-fi film discussions. Check out sipnet.us for more info and listen to all these great shows. Thanks for listening to Dead Hand Radio. This is Andrew Hall signing off.